Welcome to Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and today I've got Dr. Janice Hilliard, uh, who has been a mentor of mine for the last couple of years, and um, she's got some really interesting experiences throughout her career, has transitioned into uh, running her own consulting company, Hilliard Solutions. Uh, Janice was the former vice president of player development for the NBA, um, has some some really unique stories to share with us, and would love to welcome her to the podcast. Hey, Jake, it's good to be back with you again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, take us through your career, how you got to kind of where you where you are now, and what experiences along the way have shaped uh, uniquely your your ability to start Hilliard Solutions. Sure. Well, as you probably remember from my previous conversations, I actually started out as a high school teacher and coach um, here in Texas and was a student athlete that had a scholarship in the University of Houston, played basketball. I've always been passionate about sports um, and athletics and education and fortunate enough to um, obtain my graduate degrees. I did a master's in counseling at Michigan State, a PhD there in educational administration and just being able to combine all of my educational uh, background experiences and love for sports and passion into a career of sports. So I've been an educator uh, most of my life and had the opportunity to uh, work in college athletics, uh, developing support programs for student athletes, coaching, uh, counseling other folks who work and develop athletes, and just really has been a, a great part of my, my career. I spent some time as an intern at the uh, NCAA had an opportunity to work in college athletics at North Carolina at Houston and do some work also at Michigan State when I was a graduate student there. So pretty much have been involved in education and, and coaching and developing people uh, most of my career. So you, you have quite the educational background with the master's and even the PhD. What doors has that opened for you that Maybe it didn't uh, had you not gone through those programs and talk a little bit more in terms of what it means to be a female in sport and and maybe some of the different opportunities that exist there. Sure. Well, you know, having been an educator my whole career, education has always been important to me and impressed upon me by my my family and all of my supporters. And I was fortunate enough to develop and teach a class at Michigan State last fall, a women leadership and sports class in the College of Business. And in doing some research for that course and working with the students in my class, one of the things that we found was that women and some of their challenges and barriers to breaking into the sports field uh, and being successful there to overcome those, our research showed that women are basically um, more educated in terms of, of advanced degrees than men are in general. And we found that interesting, or I found it interesting, and to see if that actually tied into actual opportunities for women. So it's one of those factors, uh, certainly has been my experience, that has helped to sort of balance the pendulum. And I would say that it's it's perhaps not necessary to have a PhD um, in, in the sports area, and yet Women who are excelling, uh, like myself and folks like uh, Dr. Marissa Nichols, who's at Boston University, and others, um, have found it to be quite advantageous uh, for us in the in the in the world of sports. I think this is an exciting time uh, for women 
interested in going in the sports field, whether it be in athlete development in the area, as you know, that I've spent my career um, in or other areas, marketing, sponsorships, sales, whatever, broadcasting um, is certainly a great time um, uh, in, in the industry uh, for women. No, absolutely. And, you know, there's nothing uh, more at the, at the top of people's priorities lists than, you know, diversity and um, inclusion within the sports industry, uh, as it has been brought up in the news a lot. And uh, talk a little bit about the Women and Athlete Development Symposium and networking event that you're hosting, uh, the first annual one on April 1st, 2019. Uh, and, I, and I'll try and get this correctly, but hosted by Hilliard Solutions, Scholar Baller, Athletes Think, and the Diversity and Social Issues in Sport Graduate Class Cohort. Um, what is that all about? And, and I guess give us some more insights as to maybe where the idea came from, how it all started, and what you're looking to get out of it. Sure. Well, thanks. I'm excited to be able to talk about the first ever uh, symposium where we're bringing together um, women who are interested in athlete development, whether it be at the collegiate level or whether it be at the professional level, uh, in terms of a career and a profession. Um, as you mentioned, uh, my company, Hilliard Solutions, is collaborating with Scholar Baller and Athletes Think, uh, which are entities that were created by Dr. Keith Harrison um, at UCF. Uh, he and I are longtime colleagues uh, back from when he was at the University of Michigan over the Paul Roberson Institute. Um, and the Diversity and Social Issues in Sport graduate class, which is a cohort there at UCF um, on their campus. And so the, the idea that Dr. Harrison and I had always talked about and envisioned was uh, seeing that the whole field of athlete development is growing and expanding and the opportunities for women to, to gain these positions at different levels um, an opportunity to bring minds together, industry experts, professionals, particularly women who have been successful in this growing space. Um, the other thing that we recognized was that there's no real formal training for uh, folks who want to go into student athlete and athlete development. From an educational perspective, uh, there's no particular career path. There are professional organizations. Uh, N4A being one and PADS being one for the professional and the college uh, professionals, but the opportunity to network with, with, to network with professionals, to learn about athlete development, the history of it, um, what it takes to get into the field, how do you advance, how do women overcome barriers uh, in working with athletes and develop relationships with coaches and administrators, and how do you develop professionally um, as an individual and as a woman who is aspiring to a career in sports, whether it be an athlete development or not. So we came up with this idea and concept. Also, it was a result of the career coaching that I do as a part of my platform at Hilliard Solutions. And I've talked to, Jake, so many women over the years and career coached them who have asked these questions. How do you get into the field? How do you advance? How do I work in, how do I get a job at the professional level and I'm currently working at the college level? How do I tackle these gender barriers that are in front of me and where are the networks for people who are actually working with athletes? And given the fact that I've worked in this space um, for 25 plus years at all levels, I thought this would be a great form and opportunity to educate uh, our graduate students, 
um, educate those and help those who are already working in the field to advance and just really expand and, and grow the field. So we're fortunate um, that the students at UCF, that we have an opportunity um, to bring together just industry experts that are very impressive uh, for the symposium. Sure. Well, and, and you've written a couple articles out there and have expressed uh, the, the pillars of Hilliard Solutions and maybe you want to touch on, on some of those in terms of almost answering some of the questions you kind of you kind of brought up in terms of how to get into the field and what some of the most important things are to, to focus on? Absolutely. Our, our platform at, at Hilliard Solutions, as I mentioned, is really built on my life work experience um, in athletics and in sports um, at all levels. So our platforms, first of all, we're consulting um, consultancy. And that means I consult with athletics directors at all divisions on all levels that are interested in uh, supporting, developing, um, and prioritizing student-athlete development uh, to give input, feedback in terms of curriculum, programming, best practices, uh, what's out there that we should be doing with student-athlete development, helping them to evaluate their programming, uh, hire and train staff, and really integrate student-athlete development um, into the core business function in the athletic department. So the consulting is one piece of that. The second piece is supporting uh, directors, associate and assistant athletic directors who actually oversee these departments in terms of helping them to uh, plan strategically, to evaluate their programming, to develop and train their staff um, that are coming on board in terms of how do you work with athletes? How do you put programming together? Uh, for example, how do you work with the professional-bound student-athlete? We have a curriculum for that in terms of communicating with coaches and uh, showing the value that you bring to the department as well as your programming is a second part of what I do. And then the career coaching I mentioned um, earlier is a platform um, that I'm very involved with working with executives to current student-athletes to former professional-athletes just helping them to grow and develop and, and aspire to the position in whatever career that they're interested in, whether it's in, in sports or not. So it's it's pretty exciting time for me. Uh, the transition, as you know, from the NBA uh, in 2016 gave me an opportunity to really kind of sit back and say, what are the things that I really enjoy uh, doing? Uh, teaching is one of those, as I mentioned earlier, as well as connecting with colleagues who are working in this space, uh, mm -hmm. reuniting with them, doing some writing and being able to do some public speaking. Without giving too much away, right, because we, we know that uh, your experience is certainly valuable, but what are maybe one or the two most important items that you're going to try and hit on during that symposium? Okay, well, it's, it's, I'm glad you asked that because uh, I haven't talked about um, the, the industry uh, professionals and experts um, that we're bringing together. Um, I would like to mention some of those folks. Um, and, you know, the list is still being confirmed, but I'm, I'm so excited um, that, I, that I have to mention a few of them because they have been long, long time uh, experts in the field. Uh, folks like Kim Durand, who is out at the University uh, of Washington, who has done like tremendous work throughout her career with N4A. Folks like Jesse Gardner, um, who's at the University of Alabama, and Erica Nelson, who is at the University of Arkansas. I mentioned Dr. Nichols earlier, um, as well as 
Um, we have Ayana Lawson from the OKC Thunder, who's going to bring us a perspective uh, from the professional level and working with athletes. We have Corliss Fingers, which we're really thrilled about, who is the strength and conditioning coach at Bethune-Cookman uh, University, who has actually been a female strength and conditioning coach for over 20-something years. Wow. Uh, we're very um, excited about her. Um, we're hoping that Allison Waymeyers, who recently worked with Clemson football in their career development, uh, will be joining us, as well as Duncan Fletcher, who is the executive director of the professional Association of Athlete Development Specialists and Dr. Michael Sagas, who is at the University of Florida, who really has created the first online athlete development certificate program. So I hope I got everybody um, in there. Uh, my, my colleague and co-facilitator is Kevin Carr, um, who everybody knows uh, created Pro to CEO um, consultancy and just a uh, firm that he works with transitioning folks, whether they be athletes or, or actors. So I had to mention all of those uh, folks, Jason, um, just to, you know, Jake, to, just to make sure that everybody knew that we're excited about having them. So I guess more specifically to your, your question, um, the key is how do we help people, women in this case, enter into the field of athlete development? How do we help those who are in the field at whatever level advance in their current position? What is the education, training, expertise um, that you need? Um, how do you find a job in this field? Uh, what should the network look like? How do you find a mentor and a sponsor? What should those conversations be like? And to discuss what are the gender barriers that exist out there for women at whatever level, but most importantly, the event also will expose our participants to a network of professionals and industry experts that can help them begin to formulate a plan to advance their career in sports, whether it be in athlete development or whether it be in some other, in some other area. So we're excited about not only the symposium aspect of it, but also the networking opportunity um, to develop these relationships. How how has the networking component helped you over the last 20 plus years um, get to where you've been and, and through the different experiences? What does that look like? And, you know, as you coach and, and try and lead others um, through your consultancy, you know, what are some of the main suggestions that you provide them uh, in terms of, you know, not only networking with people, but what does it mean to network? You know, how do you continue to network once you've met someone? You know, I think networking is a very loose term used and thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot, right? What are, what are maybe some of those specific pieces of advice that you give to people? of, Hey, it's not just meeting someone, right? It's cultivating a relationship. It's, it's doing more than just that. Sure, that's a great question because you're right. Networking is one of those big terms that you know, people throw around and, and use a lot. And what does it really mean? And we want to drill, drill down on that um, at the symposium. So first off, um, the things that I've done, again, I try to translate to my career coaching clients. And that is, first of all, doing your homework. And I do that every day. If there's somebody that I'm interested in working with or have the opportunity to work with, and I coach my clients, do your homework. Find out what's going on in the industry. Find out who the players are. Find out where the events are. Um, try and put yourself in a position to attend and participate in some of those. 
and be aware of what's going on in the industry. Because when that happens, then when you meet someone and you have a conversation and you may only have a minute to three minutes to introduce yourself, what you're interested in, you can demonstrate that you're aware of uh, what's going on and what value you think that you might bring. Secondly, you know, I think that being able to talk about yourself um, in a minute or a minute and a half is something that I had to learn over my career. I learned this at the NBA uh, with Commissioner Stern. And every time I encountered him, uh, you know, you had maybe a minute to talk about what you're doing or, or what kind of value you're bringing to the organization. So I think you have to always be prepared to sell yourself, to market yourself, and to be able to bring knowledge and information, enthusiasm and energy uh, to the conversation. I, you know, the other thing that I do is I teach people how to, and this has worked well for me, find out um, what's the best communication style that a person has that you're trying to meet, interact with, um, or get to know. And the reason I say that, Jake, because there's, there's so many different uh, ways that people communicate, whether it's sure. email, whether it's text, whether it's whatever. And for myself, uh, I've found that it's very important to communicate with people in the way that works best for them. For one, it saves you time. Two, it shows that you're paying attention to how they communicate. And three, and most importantly, it shows that you respect their time. And in the world of sports, as you know, Time mm -hmm. is valuable. Time is money. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things that I teach my clients and that uh, th that I currently do is that, you know, you don't have an hour necessarily to have a uh, informational interview or a phone call with a sports executive. Nobody has that kind of time. So if you get 30 minutes and you have an opportunity to talk with someone on the phone or meet with them in person at a social networking event, have done your homework be intentional about what it is that you want to achieve, be able to talk about yourself. And then for the follow-up um, that you mentioned, follow-up, old-fashioned notes, still work, mm -hmm. um, still work, uh, keeping they things call short. It, they call it snail mail today, right? Is that something? <laughs> <laughs> they call it snail mail. They, they, they still work. Uh, they still impress people, do it in a timely manner. Um, all of these things have worked for me. But, you know, I'd say ultimately, um, being aware, cognizant, and respectful of people's time um, demonstrates, uh, you know, your, your interest in really wanting to get to know them and valuing their time so that the time they spend with you um, is, is significant and that it's of value to you. Sure. And it sounds so simple, right? Like, how, how do people can communicate well? I mean, text is so much different than email even though they almost seem like the same thing nowadays, right? Versus a phone call versus in person. Uh, when, when you're talking to people in the younger generation, those who are in their twenties and thirties, you know, going through their careers right now, um, you know, is there a very big difference between how the 24 year old communicates with say, you know, the senior VP who might be in their fifties or whatever, whatever age that might be, but different generation, right? versus the 24-year-old connecting with the other 28-year-old, and it's a much different landscape. How, how do you adjust in that sense and, and almost have that um, emotional intelligence or awareness? Great question. Um, one of the things that, that I've done and that really helps me, uh, quite frankly, is I have really embraced uh, the generational um, 
differences, if you will, in the industry. And that's probably something I've done better since I left the NBA, um, even though there were different generations of folks, you know, in that particular organization. I have folks, for example, that are millennials and X generation that mentor me and I pay attention to how they communicate, how they write and, and try to um, not only adapt and learn myself so I can sort of stay up with the times, but I don't hesitate either with those who I've formed a relationship with to give them feedback. Um, I remember recently I saw some comments, I don't know if it was on LinkedIn or on a podcast that one of my new younger colleagues um, had done, and I felt like I knew him well enough to make a suggestion and a tip to him regarding something that he had done. And he was very receptive and said, oh, thank you, Dr. Hilliard. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and, he, and they do the same thing for me. Um, you know, they'll, they'll give me advice and, and say, hey, Doc, I think that, um, you know, you might want to keep your videos short or this is how you <laughs> might want to do your videos when you do your guest lectures. So I, I think just being open and being aware and receptive to feedback and helping each other is probably the best way, because I, I think this may be a time, I think I read this, where we may have all of the different generations in the workforce at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's very challenging. That's challenging for HR people. Uh, aside from the sports industry and entrepreneurs and academicians, it's a challenge for everybody right now. So well, I think being awareness, you know, being aware and, and just receptive. Well, and, and you talk about, you know, the generational difference, but, but to some extent, right, there is a, a difference too on, on the male versus female and, you know, how you go about um, stepping on someone's toes versus not and, and being aggressive and not being aggressive. You know, what have you seen be successful throughout your career uh, for, you know, advice in twofold, right? One for the women who want to go work in sports and, and maybe how to approach things. And then also on the other end, for those males that are already in the workplace, um, how to, you know, work, work with females that are trying to climb the ladder as well, right? And not, and not seeing it as um, competition necessarily or, or any of that sort, but, but more so how do we work together as a team, right? We're all one. And, and I think to that inclusion point we made earlier, you know, what maybe, what points can you bring to the table uh, in that sense of, of how to interact within the workplace? I think it's something that's almost, you know, rarely touched on. Great question. We talked about this in my class at Michigan State um, last fall, which was primarily women. I think I had one young man in my course, actually. And um, it was very interesting opinions. Uh, some of those folks were uh, planning to be HR managers uh, in their careers. And so it was very, very good conversation that we had. You know, I, I think that both men and women um, need to first be aware of the communication styles and differences and be respectful of them and, and have conversation about it because uh, women and men do communicate um, differently. And I think as long as we are educating our fellow men um, and being receptive to learning and understanding cultures and styles, they can be uh, even better advocates for women in the workplace. Um, I've found in some of my research and, and just attending other conferences and talking to colleagues 
that uh, sometimes uh, the challenge becomes not so much uh, men and women communication in the workplace, but the fact that women don't really have uh, enough role models in the workplace, um, in the industry that they can go to, can learn from, get feedback from in terms of how do you adjust to a different culture and working, let's say, primarily with men. Mm -hmm. uh, and women don't network with each other um, as much. And, and some of that is competition, as what I've been learning on the entrepreneurial side, uh, the queen bee syndrome mm -hmm. that I only always talk to, often talk to women about is, you know, a lot of times there's only one position that a woman has, right? For example, in an organization at the college level, you have a senior woman administrator. Well, that's one position mm -hmm. designated for a woman. In other situations, uh, women are competing for spots that have sometimes been designated for women, and it makes it a little bit tough uh, when there is one woman already in the organization and let's say women are applying for different positions, then you know, sometimes it's like, oh, okay, um, you know, there's another woman coming into the space. How am I going to be looked at? How am I going to be viewed? What if she doesn't do well? Um, what if it shows me up? You know, mm -hmm. you have all of those uh, subtle dynamics also that go on um, in the workplace. And so I think for men, the more that we can educate them um, about communication styles and differences, the same thing for women, and to have more conversation about diversity and inclusion and, and what does it mean, training uh, for those who are in hiring positions. I listened to a podcast today on a chat in the garden with Monique A.J. Smith interviewed Dr. Catrice Albert today. Uh, she's the chief diversity and inclusion officer at the NCAA. Hopefully I got her title correctly. And the conversation was about how do you create the environment and respect for diversity and inclusion, whether it's women, gender, race, you know, um, sexual orientation, whatever, how do you do that? And it really starts at a much higher level than the folks who are actually, you know, working in the position. And, and I think that always helps. Sure. Well, and, and it's always an ongoing process, right? It's always, like you said, uh, everyone works differently with, with each other. And, you know, it's an ongoing process of education. Um, I guess to, to hit on one last point to wrap up our episode, um, the diversity and social issues part of what you're trying to focus on with this symposium and maybe how, you know, throughout your career, where you've seen those opportunities grow. Uh, for those who are listening, you know, who are, who are thinking, okay, where, where are maybe some of the diversity opportunities? You know, I know MLB has a program right now with their diversity fellowship of people wanting to get into baseball. The minor league, uh, minor league baseball has a diversity program. I know uh, Learfield IMG College has their diversity uh, academy. Um, and, and there's all these different organizations, right? And I know you have your, your, your pulse on them for sure, but uh, I guess expand a little bit on, you know, where those are and, and what advice you might have in, in that respect. Well, you know, they say that sports is a microcosm of society. And in the last year and a half, or maybe a couple of years, a lot of things have been happening in, in our society that have aided um, in this uh, push as a country, you know, as a nation uh, towards diversity and inclusion. And I think 
uh, I would be remiss not to acknowledge outside of sports um, in other spheres where this has actually happened and from our government to our systems and education from the Me Too movement to um, all of the organizations that have been popping up and growing um, and adding attention uh, to this space. And I'm, I'm proud that sports organizations have stepped up and continue to carry the banner and lead in the way, as you described with some of the examples that, that you just gave with the professional sports, sports leagues. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm, you know, with my experience and connection to the NBA, uh, I see them and most see them as leaders um, in social responsibility and in this whole space of diversity and inclusion. So the, the, the numerous numbers of things that they've done, not only at the NBA, with the WNBA, with the G League, um, in creating programs, creating opportunities, engaging former players, many of which are women and minorities, uh, whether it be in coaching or in executive positions, I think um, have just really created um, a model and a platform for other pro sports leagues and organizations um, to follow. I think the colleges are still coming along. Uh, I, I really think that they are. And being able to see the models that the professional sports leagues, um, like the NBA and MLB and the NFL, um, have set, I think will, will be great. You know, I, I think that we still have a long way um, to go. And I think even outside of sports, Jake, I think going into the private um, uh, community, uh, is really important to really cultivate and engage um, folks in leadership positions outside of sports industry to continue to create opportunities um, and forums to talk about uh, race, culture, and sports and how we can all work uh, to better work better together to improve just overall as a nation. Sure. Well, and, and you talked, you know, briefly about how life really truly connects with sports as a microcosm and the different lessons that we can learn and take from it and, and the events that can happen that can lead to social change and all that sort of stuff to, you know, we dove into women in sport, diversity in sport, social issues, um, athlete development. We've, we've talked a lot about uh, various topics today to put a, to put a whole cap on the episode. What's maybe your one takeaway for our listeners uh, as they, you know, Maybe not necessarily, oh, you got you to gotta try and focus on this skill set or, or do this or do that, but maybe one ponderance uh, of a thought to think about, to kind of take away from the episode and think, hmm, how could I maybe uh, be better to, you know, impact uh, people around me in, in one way or another? I think just continuing, my message would be, um, again, just a great opportune time now sports to continue to lead. I would encourage folks to continue to lead, to continue to be, uh, especially those who are in positions of leadership, to not be afraid to continue to lead, to create, continue to create new opportunities for people to work together, uh, to come together, to continue to break that glass ceiling for women and for girls um, in this space of sports to continue to be creative, uh, to mentor other folks, to be sponsors for underrepresented members of other of certain groups, to continue to create those opportunities um, that really our nation and our, our country has always been, been built on. And that is what makes us different than other countries and other nations 
is to continue to push forward for equity, for equality, for social justice, and to, to keep, keep breaking those barriers and opening those doors because we're all the better for it, regardless to what industry uh, of work that we're in. Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And we really appreciate your time today on Life in the Front Office. Uh, appreciate you sharing your experiences and, and thoughts and opinions on, on the various topics. And um, we will look out for some more uh, recaps on your wonderful symposium and networking event on April 1st. So uh, where can people find out about this event and, and maybe follow it? Absolutely, sure. Um, thanks for letting me put a plug in there. Um, our <laughs> registration should go up in just about two or three days on my website, which is hilliardsolutions.com. That's H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. Uh, and folks can get registered. There's limited seating uh, for individuals to join us in the symposium. So you can, can register there. You can also keep up to date on my social media sites. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Hilliard, H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D-S-O-L-U-T-I, the number one. And on Instagram at Hilliard Solutions. And, and where is this event taking place? I think we forgot to mention that. Oh, wow. Really important. It's at the, yeah. University, of, uh, the University of Central Florida in Orlando. Fantastic. Well, you guys will definitely soak up some sunshine there in, uh, on <laughs> April 1st. Well, uh, I tell so. you, for our friends that are coming from the Northeast, I know they'll be <laughs> excited. I'm in Houston, so I'm adjusting to warm weather now. But Really appreciate uh, always chatting with you. Best wishes continuously with your work. And uh, just thanks again for the time. Absolutely. And for more information uh, on Dr. Hilliard's event, uh, definitely take a look online and follow her on social media. For more episodes from Life in the Front Office, we actually have a live website. So www.lifeinthefrontoffice.com. Be sure to take a look and find out more information about all the previous episodes we've had and some of the ones uh, upcoming. And then follow us on Twitter at Life Front Office. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week.